Join Anthony Esselin, John Wark Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, August 31st, 2018. Last day before heresy hurricane season begins. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! And I'm going to celebrate by enjoying the. Uh, Labor Day weekend. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of really crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, those are the only kind that there are, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah. Weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. Uh, in fact, it's far from what any Christian has actually believed in the entire history of Christianity. Yeah, there's nothing great about the great apostasy. That's one of the things we like to say around here. And so what we're trying to do is to uh, help open your eyes, to warn you, to show you how the deception is taking place, and for you to learn a good biblical discernment so that you can protect yourselves and others. And by the way, what the Bible teaches is so much greater and better and more amazing than the nonsense that is being passed off as uh, Christian doctrine today. That's the best way I could put it. Now, uh, like I said on Wednesday, we're going to take a little bit of a uh, of a steer into the uh, you know to teachings related to the doctrine of creation, uh, because this is one of the major challenges that Christians face uh, from atheists and secularists and people who uh, you know taught you in your um, well in your grade school, in your public school, and things like that. And so I learned how to properly use science and to note that science does not debunk the creation at all. In fact, far, far, far from it. And I learned it from a man who, at the time that he was alive, was one of the most eminent uh, scientists alive you know, at, the, at that time. 
and his name was uh, Dr. A.E. Wilder-Smith. He's the author of the book, The Natural Sciences Know Nothing of Evolution, as well as many other titles. And uh, his books are worth the read, is the best way I could put it. And so what we're going to listen to today is his lecture titled, uh, Design and Logos in Biology. Design and Logos in Biology. Uh, so why don't we just get right to it? Here is the late Dr. A.E. Wilder-Smith, and I f- hope you find this as fascinating and interesting as I found it. Here we go. Jesus said, The poor you have with you always. And so I'll always be around. But we're very happy to have Dr. Wilder Smith here. And he's going to be here for a few more weeks, and so we've asked him to uh, take the Thursday night studies for a few weeks. Uh, He has so much valuable information that we need to know. And it's just a pleasure and a privilege to... Uh, turn over our pulpit uh, to Dr. Wilder-Smith for this special series. I've been looking forward to this myself. I'm just going to kick back and enjoy. (laughs) And I know that you will enjoy too. So at this time, it's my privilege to turn the pulpit over to Dr. Wilder-Smith. Nice to be wired up by the pastor himself, isn't it? <laughs> if it would only happen up here a bit more, that'd be fine, wouldn't it? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to talk tonight about the role of design and logos in biology. The role of design and logos in biology. Your worthy pastor and our worthy pastor, uh, even though we live in Switzerland, we regard him as that, said on Sunday night here something which struck me very, very deeply. You'll be surprised when you know what it was. He said that... uh, he couldn't understand how it was that any educated person wouldn't be struck by the design shown by all biology. And design demands a designer. Now, anybody whose circuitry is wired up right, uh, up top, will think that. And I think so myself. But you see, biology doesn't. Biology is convinced that the appearance of design in biology is an illusion. And a delusion. And that only imbeciles like me and others 
could see it otherwise. They're perfectly convinced that we're uneducated fools when we say that the design of an eye shows that God knew something about optics. Uh, the design of an ear, that he understood something about hearing. The idea of a brain, that he knew something about computing. They don't, they don't follow that at all. Now, they're convinced that we're fools. They really are, and it's genuine. And you mustn't get ratty or annoyed about it. Because they've got their reasons. And you see, if you don't understand them, you'll never communicate with them. I don't believe them, but I think I do understand them, because I've debated them often enough. Now, what I'm going to do is read out, first of all, what the Holy Scripture says, and uh, then we'll talk about what they say, and we'll add it up afterwards, and we may come to 2 plus 2 equals 5, as I've said before, but uh, we'll analyze it. Here it is, what the scripture says. For what can be known about God is plain to men, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. That is the creation, inorganic and organic, biological and astronomic, shows the deity and power of God. That is, the design shows the designer. That's the position of the Apostle Paul. And it's our position too, isn't it? But we must understand how men have got away from that position and can still think themselves educated. Because they're the people that teach in our schools, and they're going to close down the schools which teach that which I've just read out. They can close it down, they've already started. Now, you must understand them in order to get on the same wavelength, and then you can combat them. But if you don't understand them, you won't be able to combat them. If you want to fight an enemy, the best thing is to study him very, very carefully to see what he does. And if you can see what he does, you can nip him in the bud. But if you don't know what he's going to do, he gets you. So it's very important that we do a bit of thinking tonight. Do you mind that? We uh, do a little bit of thinking tonight? Uh, I know it's hard after a day's work, but uh, let's try it. Clearly perceived in things that have been made, so that men are without excuse. Then he says, for although they knew God in the creation, design showing the designer, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So what we've done tonight, giving thanks to him, is absolutely right. God expects that, and there's great blessing in doing it. Right, that'll be enough for to be getting on with uh, tonight. Now, let's have a look at the rock bottom of this idea that all design or a large amount of design such as we see uh, in biology round about us that it's all a delusion and doesn't show a designer because that's what the children are taught at school uh, I attended a church service 
in Thun, in Switzerland, just before we came here, and there was a dear old preacher. He was a dear old man. He radiated, you know, the love of God, like some preachers do. And uh, he had some beautiful flowers all around his pulpit. And he exuded over these flowers how beautiful they were, how they showed the glory and artistic delight of the, of the Creator. But you know, there were, oh, two or three hundred youngsters there, and they were absolutely cold. Didn't touch them at all. Why? Because the old man had never learned it at school, but they had that all design was a fake. It was a delusion. And you see, they thought that the design had come about itself. And so they weren't particularly touched when he exuded over the beautiful flowers around his pulpit. And the dear old man didn't notice it for an hour. They were all asleep after an hour. But, uh, so they didn't gain or lose anything by the whole process. Now, David Hume is, was a Scottish philosopher and an atheist who lived from 1711 to 1776. And the expression of his belief is exactly that of the belief of the Greek philosophers before him. The Greek philosophers and materialists, Socrates and Epicure and people like that, all believe the following. Now, if you don't go to sleep for the next two minutes, you'll understand me. But it, it, it's hard. Uh, never mind. Hard things should keep you awake. Uh, he and all the philosophers before him said this, that uh, there's no need for the Greek gods. And the reason is that we've got nothing that points to them. The other Greeks... They pointed to biology, they pointed to man, they pointed to the universe, the stars, and they said, but the gods made these. Now, the Greek philosophers said he didn't, they didn't. They taught this, listen ever so carefully, because you may need this when you come to do a little bit of quantum theory. Now, quantum theory is a, a lovely subject for the elite, but uh, not for others. It's hard. I don't know whether I understand it fully. Uh, they said this, that there is a continuity, get this, there is a continuity in all nature. That is, you go continually without any breaks or any hiatus from the inorganic world, the dead world, to the living world. There's chemical evolution without any breaks between that which is dead and that which is alive. That is, there's no, there's no discontinuity in nature at all. Science, you know, don't believe that today, and science there is right. But that's what they taught. Now, they also said that there's no break between the primeval slime and the first primitive cells, if there are any primitive cells, I'm very doubtful myself, and us, human beings. There's no break. One gradually moves over into the other. That's the first point they had. And, of course, it isn't true. 
people who know the quantum theory today know that one thing changes into another by leaps and what they call quantum leaps today but this is what biology is to a large extent teaching our kids so that when they get a bit older they've learnt this false theory which says in effect that 2 plus 2 equals 5 and then they have to unlearn it when they come to do quantum theory namely that things go in leaps and jumps they don't go continually that's the first point I wanted to make to you the second point I'll make it more interesting when I got the theory off my chest but I've got to get the theory off my chest first and I sometimes burst until I've got it off because um, I can see by the expressions on the face on your faces whether you've understood me or not and sometimes I get very very disheartened indeed <laughs> listen they then said that this continuity of all matter living and dead and dead and living right up to man goes so far in that all matter listen to this ever so carefully because your kids know it at school they're not told it like I'm going to tell it you now but they'll learn it uh, they said that all matter consists of particles which continually combine and then decompose continually combine and then decompose all the time so that in the course of time you get everything produced by matter which can be produced by matter you see we're made of matter aren't we uh, you may not think so but you're made of eggs and bacon and things like that so am I and uh, they say that the molecules of which we're made combine and then decombine and decompose and that only the useful things think of that what we're saying only the useful things remain and don't decompose and disappear now why ever they said that I can't 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 I can't rumble at all because I find all the useful things break down ever so quickly and the, and the useless things you can't get rid of uh, I, I, I find but that's what they thought anyway their excuse was that matter will produce any thing at all which is capable of being built up of matter in the course of time now that was the argument precisely that argument with which T.H. Huxley beat in a debate at the University of Oxford Bishop Wilberforce who was present as a professor there to defend the Christian faith against Huxley and Darwin and on that point using his typewriters which I'm going to do another evening here but not now he said that everything that consists of matter will be produced by matter if you leave it long enough every mortal thing so that if you left matter long enough it would produce an amoeba and if you left an amoeba with some more matter long enough it'll produce a frog and if you left a frog long enough it'll go up to a cow and lastly will come up to us you say that is that matter is continuous and is not discrete and will produce, I mean E-T-E, -E, not E-E-T, uh, in, in case there's any difficulties about that little word. Um, matter itself will produce everything. 
Now, if matter itself will produce everything, you think what that means. Lots of things made of matter look as though they're designed, don't they? I mean, if you look at our eye, it's certainly made of matter. But when you take a good look at it and its optics and the means with which it focuses and how the, the photons are registered on the retina and all the rest of it, it sure does look as though it's designed, doesn't it? And you take a good close look at it. But you see, if the theory that these gentry put forward 500 years before Christ was born, that matter is continually combining and decombining until in the course of time it's produced everything there is capable of being produced, uh, then obviously some of the things which it produces are going to look as though they were designed. And if you can fix those things, the look as though they're designed, make them useful, you see, in their theory, then they'll stay. So that when you look at these things that have been produced by designlessness, they will, if they're useful and stand, look as though they were designed. Now, if you've got that sort of uh, argument in your mind, you see, you can look at anything in the world, the most beautiful orchid, and it looks designed, doesn't it? But you see, the materialists say, oh, no, there's no need for gods or anything outside um, time and matter, because matter itself will do that and will produce the illusion or delusion of design. Now, this is taught in all seriousness. It's the basis of Darwinism. Darwin said that out of a little pond, a little warm pond with some phosphate salts in it and some ammonium salts in it, kept at the right temperature, what is to prevent the first simple amoeba, if he only knew what he was talking about, if you look at an amoeba, it's the last thing but simple, it will be produced by itself, and because it is a machine, it'll look like a machine, and therefore look as if it's designed. But it's all an illusion. There's no need for any theory of God behind this. And if you look at then, say, an amoeba and see how it, they say, evolves itself up uh, to higher animals, to higher plants, and to man, that looks too. Is so you've got design upon design upon design beyond design, but in reality it's merely the workings of matter which combines with itself to produce everything that matter can produce, including those things that look as though they're designed. So there you are, and that's the argument. So there's no argument from design. This argument was had out, you know, by William Paley, Archbishop William, Archdeacon William Paley, years ago, the argument from design. But William Paley was a, a brilliant old man. He didn't say anything looking like design, uh, is made by a designer, because he knew the argument of the materialists in those days. You see, he knew what other people thought, and therefore he was very careful. He said, any machine, ah, ah, he produced it. Any machine will show design and will show the capabilities of the designer. So we've got now, down now, from any aggregate of matter that does anything to a machine that does something. Because a machine is teleonomic. That is, it has a purpose. So William Paley said anything that has a purpose in it has a purposeful designer behind it. 
And the argument stands today. I've seen a lot of textbooks recently who have revived the idea of Archdeacon William Paley and said the old man was absolutely right because the teleonomy, that is the purpose, comes from telos, meaning purpose, the teleonomy has to be a surprise effect because matter doesn't have any set teleonomy or purpose in it. So if William Paley was speaking today, what he would have said is what I put up on the board there, if you can read it. M, the big M at the front, means matter, plus E means energy, plus T means tempus or time, and that, said Darwin, will produce the cell or the machine or other aggregates of matter. Now, okay, have we any proof of that? The answer is, we've got proof that it isn't the case. The formula is deficient. The formula has an infinity in it, and the infinity is the lack of information. There's none at all in it to give it any teleonomy for a cell or machine. Now, that was the position of uh, the old materialists, and some of the younger ones too, was the position of Huxley and people like that. Its position of the evolutionists today were trying to close down your creation in schools. They say that formula is science and is truth. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, it isn't. It's a deficient formula. If you add, as I've done on the second line there, if you add information or telos or surprise effects to it, then the formula is perfect and you can work with it. But you see, Darwin was out to reduce or cut out the influence of anything supernatural in science. He wanted all science to be concerned only with matter and with nothing else. Well, with matter alone, you can't produce any machine. Do you know of any machine that isn't an expression of thought in matter? Take a sewing machine. It's an expression of the idea of sewing two bits of cloth together uh, with a needle popping in and out through the cloth. But it's a thought combined with matter making the machine teleonomic, that is, make it so. And you can't make any machine without adding thought to it. That's the difference. You can make lots of things out of matter and time and energy, but not machines. So the error in the formula of the materialists is this. They didn't specify that anything could be made in matter by chance. They didn't specify that if the aggregate of matter you were making was a machine, you'd have to put in thought. That is information. That is bits and bytes of information. That's what they forgot. And our evolutionists today have forgotten just that point. And you can't expect, you know, a boy or a girl of 12 years to think that far on their own. You've got to help them with these things because, after all, we've been thinking about these things quite a number of years, you know. And it's easy now. But when you start from scratch, from the evolutionary point of view, it's difficult to say that 
Matter will make anything non-teleonomic if you leave it long enough and make the conditions right, which is the first formula. But it won't make a machine that way. And as the cell, the biological cell, is a machine, it's a metabolic machine, as I've said once before, I believe to you were the, the elite of Los Angeles, uh, I've said that uh, I'm a machine for converting potatoes into thought, aren't I? If I forget to produce the thought, then my girth increases, and uh, I'm misusing the energy of the potatoes. But if I put the potatoes in and convert them uh, into thought, then I remain reasonably, uh, reasonably, uh, you know, uh, fit and not too overweight. Uh, think of that and keep this perfectly straight. These are things that, uh, these are things that have to be thought about and we can apply them in just a minute in a way I hope you won't uh, so easily forget. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills, and when we come back, we will continue with this lecture by the late Dr. A.E. Wilder-Smith on design and logos in biology. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage 
Theater presents Church Day Select. And in other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. Angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this: when you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy. A prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels, because when you pray, God gives angels their their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding, and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. <laughs> Attention angels, this is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the uh, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, we, uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, a spiritual relief Type of thing, and uh, so those of you who have uh, been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office, and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you. All right, all right, everyone, just calm down. Thank you. Now I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, put p- put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next. What's your name? George. George. Yeah, whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's our premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. (laughs) I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay, Harold. Where you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods is just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, What are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? 
If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. <laughs> I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? <laughs> Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who is the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. Sorry. Just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith, good conscience becomes supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're waffling on the doctrine of creation. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring 
fighting for the faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Yeah, that's what they say. (laughs) And uh, when you join our crew, uh, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew, by the way, great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of today's lecture by the late Dr. A.E. Wilder-Smith, titled Design and Logos in Biology. Here we go. Okay, the fact is that there is no development of aggregates of matter up to cells continuously. But if you add to matter thought, information, a blueprint, then you can get machines out. But that's where the discontinuity comes in, where you add surprise effect of thought to matter and produce a machine. Now you see, the Bible teaches just that. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word is the Logos, that is the thought or the concept. And God added the thought or the concept, the I, to matter, and lo and behold, the first man, the machine for converting potatoes into thought, among other things, uh, appeared. A living soul turned up. But you've got to think about these things, otherwise you will, by half-correct thought, get an awful mess for children. In the end, they'll see no, no reason to believe in God at all, because... They don't see what logos and information means. Now, let's, uh, let's take that one a little bit further. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little story because I've bored you long enough with dry as dust theory. Uh, I must tell you this, that I don't verify for the factuality of this little story that I'm going to tell you, but if you get the moral of it and take it with you uh, all the days of your life, then I'll be very happy. But the actual substance of it is allegorical and is parable. Now, the substance is this. I don't know whether you know a man called Erich von Däniken. He worked the chariots of the gods, you remember? Well, he's a neighbor of ours. He lives not very far from us in Switzerland. And he was a, an atheist. But he didn't believe in evolution. He'd read some of my books and he thought they were right. 
He only said there's only one thing wrong about them, that is you bring in the name of Jesus. I'd make you a millionaire, he told me, if you cut out the name of Jesus in them. Uh, so I said, well, you've cut out the main purpose then. There's no purpose in writing the books. Oh, he said, if it's as bad as that, then I'll leave him alone. So, <laughs> so um, he once turned up to me when I was holding a lecture in the ETH in Zurich, which is the MIT of Switzerland. And we had a lecture hall there of 200 and for 250 people, and about 500 people were in it. And he came up, dressed up like an American tourist, you know, with cameras and videotapes and everything that an American tourist has with him, you say. So he came like, uh, he came like that into my little office where I was waiting to hold the lecture. And he said, can I come in and uh, videotape your lecture? So I said, well, Mr. Von Däniken, if you'd like to, if you can physically get into that room without knocking too many people over the head with all your apparatus, uh, welcome. Well, when I got into the lecture hall, there it was cramped right to the very bursting point. And right in front of them all was Erich Von Däniken with his, uh, <laughs> with his uh, little, uh, you know, how they refresh their memories with these cameras. So, when I finished, he uh, said he wanted to talk to me. So I said, well, very nice. When would you like to talk to me? Oh, as soon as I can. So I said, okay, it's Friday today. I've got a lot of speaking engagements. If you come in on Sunday morning to my hotel at 7 o'clock, punctually, I'll have time for you. So at seven, he swore an awful oath, um, an oath, I'm afraid. said he'd never been asked by anybody, not even the king of any country, to turn up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. So I said, well, okay, I've got no other time. If you really do want to come, come. So he came, and I had a good talk to him. Now, it's about his gods that I want to talk to you tonight. I mustn't waste too much time on the, on the details of this, because... Uh, there's an awful lot that would interest you, but I want to get to my point. So, the thing, thing is this. He uh, believed, you know, that his astronaut gods came to the Earth and seeded it with genes. And that these genes then developed by Darwin, Darwinian process to produce us. So he didn't have much use for Darwinian evolution because he said, you've got to have the gods in it, you see. If you have the gods in it, you're okay. Well, I mean, there's a grain of truth in it, but not very much. Now, they, Svondinikin's gods, are alleged to have gone back to the galaxies, you see, after they'd finished doing their work here. And uh, the story that I'm going to tell you is this. One of the gods, I forget his name, had a birthday party. And they wanted to have uh, a little outing on the birthday party. So they thought that a nice place to go would be planet Earth. Now, they had plenty of space machines about that fly around at the speed of light, you know, so they didn't have much trouble. So they decided they'd take the old god who got his birthday uh, with him, with them on a little jaunt to the blue planet of Earth. Had a fascination for the gods. Now, when they were speeding straight towards us, their Geiger counters started to tick. Now, you know how Geiger counters tick, don't you? And even gods don't like Geiger counters that tick, because uh, 
So they said, look, there's something gone wrong. And then they looked out of the little portholes and they saw that the earth in their eyes, right in front of them, they were heading straight for it, was changing from blue to brown. So as they got nearer and nearer and nearer, the intensity of the radioactivity got worse. So they said, we, and even gods can't stand that. You mustn't take me too seriously, will you? I see your pastor looking at me with a very... Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. They said, we'll have to get off. Where can we go to observe the earth but not get too near? Because it's highly radioactive. Somebody's blown it up. So um, they found the moon quite near them. So they veered off and got into orbit around the moon and then they put on the brakes, you see, and descended to the surface of the moon. And they said, now we get out our telescopes and have a look at what's happening on that formerly blue planet. So while they were uh, rummaging around and unloading their spaceship, they said, we'll have to fix our telescopes and instruments down very firmly onto moon rock. So they all got to work, took off their jackets, you see, and were knocking in, listen very carefully what I say, tent pegs to anchor their apparatuses with, you see. Now one of the, the gods uh, had a big tent peg, and another god was there with a big whacking hammer to knock in the tent pegs. There's not much gravity on the moon, so you have to use a lot of force, you know, to get these tent pegs in. So they were hammering away at these tent pegs and, and one of them stood up and he said well I've never seen anything like this before we've got on the moon are you listening elastic rocks because my tent peg, peg is is bouncing I knock it in and it comes out again I didn't know that granite could be like rubber he said so the other one said, let me have a go at it. And he hammered it in, you see, and the more he hammered, the more it bounced back. So they said, well now, we didn't know that you could make granite into an elastomer like rubber is. We should have to have a look. This is something new for us gods. So uh, uh, they started to get some shovels out from the space uh, craft and dig down to see what this rock was that was made of elastic. So when they got down, they found something black and round. So they dug and dug and dug until they got right under it, and then they pulled it out. And do you know what it was on it? Goodyear. <laughs> now, so they thought, well, boys, let's have a look. So they dug a little bit to the other side and they found another one with Goodyear on it. Black and white Goodyear, you know, all around it. And then they dug a little bit further back and they found another two Goodyears. Black and white lettering on it. Well, they were really perplexed at this. So they thought, well, let's dig the whole bag of tricks out. So they dug the whole bag of tricks out and do you know what they found? They found the jeep that the, the Yanks had left behind up on the, on the moon. And it was all covered up with moon sand, you see. But they got it out and cleaned it up. And uh, it was in perfect working condition. And they were rummaging around on the dashboard with the steering wheel, you see. And they found a book in there. 
It was a manual. You know, like you have on your new Cadillac. A, a, a manual there on how to use the thing. Well, no, they didn't know how to read English because it was in English. So they got their computers to work. You see, these gods had everything you could wish for. They got their computers to work on decoding this wretched manual. And after a day, they knew how to charge the batteries. They knew how to drive it. They knew what it was for. So they said, this is absolutely fine. We came here for a birthday party. And uh, a birthday party it shall be. We'll go and have a picnic on the jeep. So they put everything that they wanted on the jeep and with a hooray and, a, you know, singing and all the rest of it, they set off for the mountains of the moon to have a birthday party on the jeep. Now, when they'd had a good day's outing, uh, they got serious like people do. And one of them said, where did that come from? Where did this machine come from? So the other said, well... According to best evolutionary theory, the molecules of the rock combined with one another and produced all the possible shapes which molecules of rock can produce and produce this machine. Well, some of them didn't like that idea. They said, that's all very well for the machine itself, but you don't mean to tell us that the manual in the dashboard uh, was produced by the paper of which it's made, do you? You don't think that all those instructions with all that information, the millions and millions of bytes of information there, came that way, do you? Well, they said, we could at a pinch believe that the, uh, believe that the machine arose that way, because after all, all biology arose that way, didn't it? And that would be a bit more complicated than the machine here. It's complicated enough. Charging the batteries from the sun's a real fine idea, isn't it? Uh, but the manual, we can't believe that English, the code that we've decoded with our machines, we don't believe that that arose by the Darwinian process. I can't believe that a code, said one of the chief gods there, arose, arose that way. I can't believe you can write books that way, just by letting everything be formed and then wiping it out and that which is useful staying behind. Don't believe it. Well, after they'd argued about this on the way back for a long, long time, one of them said we'd have to go and fetch the real expert on this subject, but he's up in the galaxies where we live. And his name was Albertus Zweisteinus. I don't know whether you know that gentleman. Uh, uh, you know that zwei means two, don't you? And that ein means one. So Einstein means one stone, and Zweisteinus means two stones. So he was a bit better, you see, than the one we had down here. And so they, they, went, and, they went and fetched him. Well, now, he came along with his baggy old trousers and his tired eyes, you know, and couldn't speak English very well. And uh, they said, where do you think it came from, this machine? So they showed him it. Oh, he said, well, if cells, biological cells, and we know how they're made, were made by the chance processes of Darwinism, perhaps this Jeep could have been made too. But he said, I'll draw the line at the manual. I can't believe that that was made by that process at all. So he said, well, how do you think it was made? 
We said, I wouldn't dare tell you people because you'd kill me if, if I told you. But he said, you've got absolute proof where that manual was made. That was made by people with the properties of the gods who were creative. That was made with the same sort of properties as the creator himself who made the whole bag of tricks had. See, so you don't say so. Do you think that there are uh, such beings around? Because that's against all the principles of science if you do. Because all our science is to get rid of the necessity of us. You know that everybody, nobody believes in the gods anymore because uh, of what we've had them teach about matter making everything. So, he made them sign an agreement that they wouldn't do anything to him if he told them the truth. You know, wouldn't take away his professorship from him or block his banking account or anything like that. Uh, and when they'd signed, he said, well, I've got absolute proof that that was made in USA uh, on Earth because it says so on some of the point, on some of the, the component parts of that machine. Well, they let him go and didn't do anything to him because he seemed harmless enough. But they got into their machine and uh, went back quickly as they could in the hope that those people that had apparently blown up the earth wouldn't intercept them on the way and blow them up as they went back. But they went home after celebrating their birthday and had come to the conclusion that when you find a code hiding information, non-random sequences which had a code, that that is proof positive of design behind the code and behind the contents. Absolute, definite proof. Even your Carl Sagan says that, you know. He says if you find a non-random sequence hiding a code which stores information, that is proof absolute of intelligence being behind that design. So, Let's have a look at it another way around, and then I'll finish. Uh, there are other things that you can say about that. I'm going to ask you one or two questions, especially the, the men amongst you. Uh, do you really believe, these are questions, uh, do you really believe that matter combines with itself to produce all the possible aggregates that are possible, or do you think there are exceptions? Well, I, I'm of the opinion that matter will combine with itself to perform, to produce a lot of aggregates, but there are exceptions. Now, I don't know whether I try it, because there are a number of ladies here who probably think that I'm just pulling wool over their eyes, and I should hate, uh, I should hate to think, think that, uh, that you'd be, think that I would risk doing that to you. Um, if you were making, say, a car engine by the method of Darwin, that is, random processes producing everything that is possible, everything that is possible, if you were doing that, now, hand on your heart, do you think that those processes could produce a round cylinder? Ask yourself. Of course they wouldn't. Random processes would never produce a round cylinder. Now that's the first thing. So you've got an exception 
to the general rule of all the materialists who say everything will produce, including those things which look designed, so design is always the appearance of design. Now what about getting a piston to fit into that cylinder, uh, to fit absolutely gas tight with the rings and the grooves round it which are gas tight too, by random processes? Do you think you'd ever get them? No possibility. Do you think you'd ever get a valve to sit in the seat and with its stem on it to fit perfectly into the hole made for the stem by random processes? The only process that will make those cylinders, pistons, valves, stems of valves, the seating, which is perfectly round, the only thing that will make that is directed energy. So it's the energy on a lathe. You can do it on a lathe quite nicely. Now if you've got directed energy there, then of course that cuts out the whole basis of Darwinism, which is randomness does a whole bag of tricks. Won't work that way. So if you're going to have a machine made by Darwin's process, the energy that's the second word in, in my formula, the energy mustn't be random. It must be directed. Now, if your energy is directed, it's isn't random. So the formula's wrong in respect to that. Now, if it's directed energy, then you've got to add the I information to make it directional. And then you can do it. So the formula, which is being taught in all your schools to justify the lack of anything supernatural having anything to do with our creation, the formula is deficient, and is deficient in direction. And that's what logos means, and that's what information means. Now you can go right through that into chemistry. You say, oh, well, chemistry is not made like a car engine. Your chemistry could make a cell, couldn't it? Now, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is no. Because all the cells of our body contain thousands and thousands of what are called enzymes. And the enzymes function like a hand fitting into a glove. And the hand goes into the molecules of the glove in a perfect fit. So you get very close fit between the outside of the cell and the inside of the cell chemically. Just like a piston fits into a cylinder. So you've got the close analogy there between the production of an engine, an internal combustion engine, and the production of a cell. Both are absolutely dependent on an absolute fit. Now, if you're going to get an absolute fit in an engine, you've got to have your direction in it. You've got to have good lathes to do it. And in this chemistry of the cell, you've got to have exactly the same. You've got to have the fit of the hand into the glove in thousands of cases. In the simplest cell, there are 2,000 hand-glove fits to make the cell capable of getting energy from its environment. And when you see that, and ladies and gentlemen, we can see it today, and we can make such systems to work. Arthur Kornberg and Sol Spiegelman both made a virus. 
One of them made it out of RNA, and the other one made it out of DNA. And they spent two to three years doing it to make sure that by directional energy they got the fit. And the fit of the hand into the glove, the enzyme systems, which are necessary, just like a piston is necessary to fitness into a cylinder perfectly, otherwise the thing won't run, is exactly the same in making a machine as it is in making, uh, making a machine as it is in making a cell. There's no difference at all in principle. And if you don't have the external direction put into matter to guide it, in the right paths so that the fit does occur, then you don't get any cell which will live and work the same as you wouldn't get any motor which will live and work by that means. So I'm of the old-fashioned opinion, and a lot of people are coming around to it today, that you can't get design without a designer. This idea of design being an artifact produced by matter reacting spontaneously and higgledy-piggledy all the thousands of thousands of thousands and thousands and thousands of aggregates of matter, some of which function and some don't. That idea is absolutely wrong because nothing will function unless you get the perfect fit produced by direction. And the direction is, of course, stored on the DNA molecule. But where did that direction come from in the first place? Well, the scripture is perfectly plain about that one. and says that the direction came from the Logos. The Logos put his concept, which is directive thought, into matter. And the result was the metabolic machine known as man and the animals and the plants appeared. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, the important thing about this is not only that we have the, the knowledge of this, but that it reaches our hearts. It's very, very interesting from a purely scientific point of view to go into all these things, but you can remain as cold as ice doing it unless you see where it's going to lead you to. Now, I don't know what you think, but I think this, that if you put direction, information, onto a very small space, that's known as miniaturization. And when you think that the billions of bits of direction which are in us, and that all that direction with billions and billions of bits of information was combined on one sperm of my father and one egg from my mother, that that unbelievable concentration of high technology is on one sperm and one egg. Now, we look at machines which are high-tech and we wonder... Wonder. They go up to Edwards Air Base, don't they? And they see all the little secrets, big secrets that you've got up there. And most of them, you know, are very high technology. And you say, oh, where's man getting to? He really is going too far. Because he uses it for destructive purposes. When you think how God did that, when we see then 
nature as it is, as Paul said in the Rome, first chapter of Romans, we see his deity and his Godhead writ large, right throughout biology. And if he did that, the God that I worship, you know, is omniscient. He knows everything. And if you look at the blueprint for a man, it takes millions and millions of pages just to write the sequences down of his genetic code, just to read it, let alone make it and compose it. When you think that we're of infinite value as God's work, beyond that scientifically, of infinite value, when you think that we're that, and rather than let us be perished, let us perish, he came and offered himself to save us from that death. Now why is that necessary? I think this, that if you're going to get matter to develop itself up to life, You've got to put in from outside telos or information. Logos, if you like. You've got to do that. But left to ourselves as human beings, if we don't have the direction put in from the Lord Jesus Christ from outside us, we go to pieces. No matter how well you've been brought up, any of us can go to pieces, except that the Logos comes into us every day to give us the direction we need. That means we've got to take time every day to do it. Especially if you're married and have a family, just to run the family right in the fear of God takes the quiet time every day with the family, reading the word, praying, and loving him who gives us this direction. But that's optional for us. We've got to seek for it. And if we do that, then we'll uh, be quite sure about the design of biology, which is to make us in the likeness of his son. So we'll pray together. Just remain seated where you are. We ask thee, Lord Jesus, that we may see these things and see thine omnipotence and thine omniscience in all matters that we look at in science round about us and give us wisdom to pass on this knowledge to others that others may profit from it. So make us new by giving us new direction this evening to serve thee as we ought. We thank thee for thy kindness and goodness to us this day. Amen. I think I learned something tonight. <laughs> I learned a lot. Shall we stand? I do believe that it is extremely important that we understand what the children are being taught so that we can correct the very basic 
flaws that are being taught that lead them to then the false conclusions. You start with the wrong premise, you're going to get wrong information. And so it's important that um, we can grasp and understand these things so that we can properly, and Bible says, be able to give to every man a reason for the hope that is in you. The Bible says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And our belief in God is a reasonable belief. They like to say, well, it's just blind faith. <laughs> well, they do believe in blind chance and a lot of other blind things. But they seem to object to what they would call blind faith. But it isn't a blind faith. There are many, many infallible proofs of the Creator. It's just the proper interpretation of the data. So, looking forward to this mind-expanding experience. So we pray. Father, we thank you again for the privilege and the joy of knowing the Creator. And to realize, Lord, that there is thought that you think about us. You thought about us. And when you designed and created us, you had a purpose in view. Help us, Lord, to discover what your purpose is for our lives as we yield ourselves to be influenced by your Spirit to become all you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.